Welcome to the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust Podcast on Writing Great Grants. This year, we're proud to mark 45 years serving the nonprofit community of the Pacific Northwest. As a private nonprofit foundation, we've invested more than $1 billion through capacity building grants, enrichment programs, and convenings for nonprofits with the desire to help organizations flourish and thrive in order to serve the common good of our communities. On today's episode, we sit down with Kim Newman to discuss the importance of building partnerships between the for profit and nonprofit sector. Kim is a program director with the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust and brings a unique perspective on STEM education following several years molding young minds at both private and public institutions, most recently at Camas High School where she taught biology and technology. A participant and coach for several years in the Partners in Science program, Kim also helped lead the Camas Girls in STEM conference. A graduate of Stanford University, where she was also a standout on the women's basketball team, Kim went on to earn her master's degree from George Fox University. Enjoy today's episode. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are thrilled to have you here. I am so very happy to be here. Excellent. Now, Kim, we're here today to talk about partnerships and collaborations. And uh, part of the reason why I wanted to talk with you about this in particular is because you have some very unique perspective on this because you've worked on two sides of a project that relies on partnerships, specifically the Murdoch Trust Partners in Science program. Um, Before we dive into this too deeply, can you just give our listeners a bit of background about Partners in Science, your experience before you came to the trust and since you've been with the trust? Sure. So Partners in Science is a career-changing program funded by us, the Murdoch Charitable Trust, and we make $19,000 grants to support high school teachers to engage in innovative, innovative research for two summers in a university lab or a research institution. The program also includes training over two conferences, along with one-on-one coaching to support the teachers in the translation of that research experience into a change in classroom practices. So my experience actually, um, a few years back, about 10 years ago, I earned a Partners in Science grant, and I did research at Oregon Health Sciences University with Drs. Peter Grigsby and Victoria Roberts, and it seriously was the coolest experience ever. My question as a researcher, um, and I'm going to say this in English rather than science speak, but my question that I studied was how do you, um, or how does a particular bacteria called euparvim get inside the uterus of a pregnant woman? And that causes preterm birth and a whole host of complications like lung dysfunction and brain impairment. And anyway, I was gowned up going to the delivery rooms when a mother was going to have a C-section and a baby was born. First of all, beautiful in and of itself. And then I was handed in a tray a placenta. And I got to do testing on that membrane that went around the placenta. So it's pretty cool. That may be a little bit too much uh, information, but it was an amazing experience to do that research. So I also earned a supplemental grant where I was able to purchase a $7,000 suite of equipment to support my students with hands-on research in the classroom. And the Partners in Science program as a whole, with both grants, um, changed the way that I taught science. So my class used to be a place, or became a place, sorry, of exploration, curiosity, and struggles. So I used to give cookie cutter labs where the kids would just follow procedures and give you an exact um, result. And instead, my kids did the thinking and designing and testing. 
And I became instead a parter, instead of a, being a parter of wisdom, I became a coach. I guided students how to think critically. So now I get to direct the program. And so I get to encourage other high school teachers, high school science teachers, to apply for a grant to do research and to transform their science classrooms. So Partners is this unique program where they're basically taking high school educators, taking them out of the classroom, and for a summer, two summers, we're putting them in a real lab. They're getting the opportunity to really work with their hands and 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 put into practice what they're what they're they're talking about every day in the classroom. It's really built on this model of bringing outside experience to educators. How valuable do you think is that experience for educators and really for for nonprofit practitioners in general? Well, do you mind if I give you an analogy? Please, I love a good analogy. Well, hopefully this is a good one. So think about flying an airplane. You want to get a pilot's license, but you have never practiced in the cockpit before. And then you have to teach other people how to fly. So you've just been in that flight simulator. But to be a pilot, you need to develop knowledge based on aerodynamics, whether to avoid FAA regulations and things like that. And you pass the ground school training. And that doesn't make you a pilot, though. You have to have 40 hours of flying lessons. But if you really want to be a real pilot, like to fly those big jets up in the air, you have to have 1,000 hours of training and flight in the air. And so comparatively, high school teachers have bachelor's or master's degree in the subjects, subjects that they teach. And that gives them core knowledge, gives them their ground school training, but it does not teach them how to fly. So our program, Partners in Science, helps science teachers learn how to fly by getting training from actual scientists, people that are really doing the work. I like that. It's 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 like giving gets like helping uh, the nonprofit practitioners get their wings. Uh, I love that analogy. Excellent. Yeah. But so, so the hands-on experience, we're, we're, we've established that it's really valuable for educators um, and particularly, you know, high school science educators and so forth. But it's also valuable, right, in, in other settings as well, because you don't just work with um, high school educators in your role as a program director with the trust. You work with a number of nonprofits. One of the areas that we focus on at the trust is building those partnerships across sectors between the public and private and nonprofit sectors. So thinking at that kind of volunteer level, board level, staff level, how valuable is it to a nonprofit, just generally speaking, when an external partner comes on board with that hands-on experience and brings that to the table? Well, we surely can't do anything alone, can we? <laughs> so before I really answer your question, Colby, I want to make sure that we focus on the term that you used, partnership. So heck, in our program, we call it Partners in Science for a reason. We're very intentional about that. So a partnership is when both people bring their strengths to the table and learn from each other. And a partnership implies an investment, and it's mutually beneficial to both people. So I want to give you another analogy. Bring it on. I love analogies. Okay, I'm full of them. I'm full of them. And so like, how valuable is it to the nonprofit? when that external partner comes in? Well, think about the human body, okay? The thumb, for example, and the eye. They're made up from different functions. They have different functions and structures, but they're all part of one body. Well, I'm gonna stop you right there. If anyone doubted for a second that you're a science teacher, the fact that you're talking about human anatomy as your, your analogy, I think it's fantastic. Continue. Well, awesome, all my analogies will be science. Well, 
maybe all of my analogies will be science-based. So expertise though, right, is the same kind of thing. It's part of something bigger. So you may be the I. So your expertise may be a talent or a gift. It might be a personal strength or something that you've worked really hard at and acquired. But this gift is not something uh, to be hoarded or just used for your own benefit. It should always be used for the whole. So think of the hand. Hand functions best when it's part of something whole, like with the nervous system or the cardiovascular system. And it'd be kind of gross, actually, if you had a hand without those things. It would be limp and dead and quite useless. So we're so dependent upon each other for the whole. So here at the Trust, we often use the term for the common good. How can we work together? The nonprofit, the for-profit, policymakers for the common good. So when somebody outside of an organization comes in with their unique skill set or talent, that adds value. It may be insight, perspective, or a basic skill possibly that is needed for the whole to function well. So again, we can't do anything by ourselves. And I think it would be fair to say that there's almost an exponential gift there where if, if, if I'm, for example, you know, I'm, an, I'm someone with an accounting background and I come to a nonprofit and I volunteer and I lend my accounting skills, not only am I helping that nonprofit grow and, and shore up their, fin their finances, but that nonprofit now doesn't have to go out and pay for somebody with that skill set to come in and, and help, right? There's, there's an additional layer of, of benefit, a, a kind of a, a 2x, 3x factor of, of value there, right? Well, of course. Okay, you want your another, it's not an analogy, but it's like a symbiotic relationship, right? Mm -hmm. They both benefit from each other. So the nonprofit benefits from your skill set in finances. And I think the person giving, you benefit from being part of something that has, um, provides for some social good. So the, the, it not only benefits the nonprofit, the partner actually takes something positive away from this as well, right? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, we all benefit, right, from something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, you having having kind of served, you know, you we've talked about the fact that you know you were on the the receiving end of that generosity as as a as a partner in the Partners in Science program, and you know having that opportunity to do some hands on research, but you know, from your perspective now as someone who's helping pair up those partners and someone who's helping bring coaches into, uh, into work with those, those, um, those educators, what just do you personally take away as, as someone from the, you know, from, from the outsides, uh, bringing, bringing service into the nonprofit sector? What, uh, what are some of the, the positives that you take away? Well, no, I just think for me personally, I get to meet the coolest people in the world and I get to learn about say their research and really how they're trying to solve problems. And so for me, it's about learning and um, supporting people. And I think a partnership that benefits them both. I think of the researcher, they benefit a lot by just learning about K-12 education, getting an experienced person in their lab. Um, and for the teacher, of course, they have huge benefits in just learning science. No, I, I want to take a step back because we're, you know, we've got some great examples of the, uh, you know, the, the education, high school educator example kind of on the micro level with, with partners. But I also want to take a step back and look, you know, at a high level from a nonprofit perspective. In your experience with partners and the trust over, you know, the last several years, what are a couple of the things that you find that make a really successful partnership between a nonprofit and 
a partner organization? What are two or three steps that can be taken to really optimize success so that both sides are getting maximum value out of, out of uh, linking up? Well, let's look at just first the successful partnerships. Um, first, they have to have common vision, right? And in science, right, a common enthusiasm for whether it's healthcare or whatever, but they have to have, they both have to be aligned with their vision and also their passion. So both have to be passionate for the work. I think about on the for-profit side, people are really busy with their work and they don't have the time um, to kind of invest in a whole bunch of different things. And so their passion has to align with the organization that they're going to support, their nonprofit that they're going to support. Another thing that's important, and we saw this a lot with our partners in the science program, but you have to have clear objectives. You have to know what you're going to do. And it's usually within a, a specific period of time. So for partners in science, it was two summers. But I could think about um, if I want you with your financial background to kind of help me revamp or help me re- Oh gosh, I'm not sure what a, I know what a finance person does, but help me with new software that's going to help coordinate my um, fundraising. And so I would seek you out and try to ask you if you would help me with this for about three to four months time. So you can commit with specific objectives. You want to help me revamp it and you can commit for three months. You don't have the time or the capacity in your own life to commit for two years. So clear objectives with a defined time frame. A true partnership has to have good team team skills, right? You want somebody that works well with others, that asks good questions, that listens well. You don't want somebody that's going to go do their own thing. And then just do you have the capacity? So I think um, the capacity to bring somebody on both sides. As a nonprofit, do you have the capacity and supports to help somebody come on and help you? And as the for-profit, do you have the time to actually commit to this nonprofit? I think the uh, the objective point that you bring up is is really important. Um, we we talk about this a lot with you know in in terms of you know board service and volunteer service. People can get really excited about wanting to get involved with a nonprofit, but if there isn't a clear directive and a clear focus for their time, it can you can kind of end up spinning your wheels. But walking in and saying you know we need your help on this, it's going to take about this long. There may be more projects down the line, and that partnership may continue in, in other ways, but clearly saying, this is what we're looking for, this is, this is uh, how long it's going to take, can, can really optimize that partnership. Mm-hmm. Now, agree. what are some things that could maybe get in the way of an optimal partnership? What are some things that you know, maybe aren't as helpful either from the partner side, from the volunteer side, from the nonprofit side? What gets in the way? Well, I'm going to reiterate something that I talked about earlier, but before I do, you know, you said that I was a star player on the basketball team at Stanford, right? You know I what? Quite, I, I did. Quite, I did. Did you? Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate your uh, big faith in me a long time ago, but that was really actually far from the truth. I was not a star player. I was a solid player, a solid teammate. I was part of a team. And so my analogy is going to go with a team here, a sports team, with to answer your question. Okay, so I was part of a team, a beautiful team of 12 women with a common goal. And we worked hard together with various strengths, kind of like the hand and eye analogy that I gave you earlier. So the things that get in the way of a successful team are also true 
um, of things that get in the way of an optimal partnership. And the first one relates to what we just talked about was the lack of clear, go clear goals and strategy. So how are you going to get there? So in basketball, you have to think about like at the end of the game, when are you going to pull back and slow things down? Or when are you going to stay poised and stick to your strategy? Um, and you have to perform one of your plays that you've been practicing over and over again. Uh, sometimes you have to rewrite your playbook or rethink the strategy. And so you may not be clear on what that strategy is. And I think that COVID has done that um, to us as a society. We've had to rethink our playbook. And so our strategy is unclear. And I think you were part of this one, the webinar with David Blanchard and Andy, Andy Crouch from Praxis. They read that article on strategies for winter, redemptive leadership and survival times. I loved it what these guys talked about, but they said um, that leaders must set aside confidence in their current playbook as quickly as possible and write a new one that honors their mission and the communities they serve and make the most of their organization's assets, their people, financial capital, and their social capital, leaning on relationships and trust. They said that you needed to look at things differently. And so what can get in the way of these optimal partnerships is I think a lack of clear strategy. And as we've seen with COVID, these may need to be revamped. And little side note, but this actually makes me think of a rock that I have in my garden. It's kind of a cute story. So when my son was about two, he's 24 now, and he was carrying this big rock on a hike. And it was so heavy, but he loved this rock. We were on like this three mile hike and he really um, wanted to take it home. And it was seriously, it's probably like 10 pounds and he was carrying it and he finally got exhausted and he wanted to drop it. And he told him, no, this rock is really good. It's good for your strength. And, and so we took turns carrying it. But when we got home, I thought a lot about this rock. And so I wrote the saying, I did not make up the saying, so I don't know who wrote it, but it connects with what we're talking about. And on my rock, I painted the difference between a stepping stone and a stumbling block is how you use it. And so I think about the strategies that we write and I think of the challenges, particularly with COVID. And we need to take these challenges as opportunities to innovate uh, or to rewrite our playbook. But in these partnerships, it's important that these are clear whether or not we rewrite them. Another thing, can I tell you another thing that gets in the way? Lay it on me. I know you wanted to ask another question, but I have a couple things actually. So one is lack of clear goal, clear goals and strategy. Another one is just poor communication. I think so often in partnerships, um, one person may not communicate their needs or expectations well and or not communicate at all. And I think silence leads to confusion. So I think we need to be clear with each other. I think we need to be vulnerable and honest. Being transparent is really important. And then the last bit, and this happened with the basketball team, happens all the time, but it never happened with me. I never did this. But you need to stick to your fundamentals. You need to stick to what is good or best practices. So in basketball, that could be trying to get a little too fancy with a little, when a simple bounce pass would have been perfect, but you try to do a behind the back pass and it goes out of bounds and it was a bad thing. You shouldn't try to be fancy, stay true to best practices. And in this case for business, stay true to your mission. You need to um, guard your mission and you know your strategy may change some, but it's vital to guard that mission and stick to the fundamental fundamentals such as like healthy board leadership practices, that's it. Kim, can you give us some uh, some examples maybe that you've observed of 
you know, nonprofits and partnerships uh, with businesses that have been really successful that you've, you've seen? I sure can. So two of them are education because that's where my heart lies. And one is with an organization that we have funded a bit. Um, it's called In For All. It's in Beaverton, Oregon. And they are an education support organization. And they have this beautiful model that brings local businesses that focus on STEM education. And Tektronix is one of them. And, you know, that's very closely related to our founder. And so they partner STEM businesses and schools and they bring in the industry leaders, the professionals into the classrooms who do hands-on real world projects with these kids. And so it just gets kids excited about science. And this kind of connects to some of the things that we've already talked about, about these STEM businesses and then the schools having a common vision and interest in STEM education, clearly defined goals in a clearly defined time. So they do it just during the school year like eight days for each um, semester. Um, another example is De La Salle, North Catholic High School, and they're in Portland as well, in Portland, Oregon. And they have this unique model that they have modeled after, gosh, I forgot the name, it's called Crystal, Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Chicago, developed this corporate work-study program model where the kids go to school four days a week and then one day they work for a local business so that again is a partnership between the two all four education supporting kids in business experiences learning to communicate things like that so it's beneficial to both the school and the businesses and then i have um i think about okay so steve moore always talks about the common good right serving the common good and how are we doing that and he talks a lot we talk a lot about um, here at the trust about ecosystems and we're really all part of one big ecosystem and we have all these different sometimes we think in silos of like food insecurity being a silo homelessness being a silo education being a silo but they're really all working together and i could think of one organization i'm picking on organizations in oregon here for some reason but virginia garcia so they are a, they have a healthcare center in Beaverton and they focus on what is called wellness care, not just healthcare. So they do offer healthcare and they offer classes and support to parenting, healthy cooking, exercises and stuff like that, exercising. And they also host um, a monthly farmer's market with Oregon Food Bank. So that's pretty cool. You've got a partnership here between two nonprofits, but they're working together to support um, people that need both health health care and food. So they're supporting, making a stronger ecosystem, supporting individuals and families and communities in the Pacific Northwest. And that is a lovely thing. And how can you not love these organizations? That is fantastic. Kim, thank you so much for those examples. Thank you so much for your insight on this. Um, definitely a lot of really valuable uh, meat here about the importance of those partnerships. And we are just thrilled that we were able to share this with our audience. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. My pleasure, Colby. Thank you. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust Podcast. For more information on nonprofit development and effective grant writing, as well as resources on leadership, 
board management, team building, and a variety of other topics in the nonprofit space, visit us online at murdochtrust.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Murdoch Trust, on Facebook at Murdoch Charitable Trust, and on LinkedIn. Music for this episode was provided by Lobo Loco via the free music archive. This episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust podcast was recorded by the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.